Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Irish Mags Show and to what is our first ever live episode as we get together for an Irish Mags Tune Transfer Talk special. I managed to say that without messing it up. My <laughs> name is Paul, I will be your host for today and joining me are my talented co-hosts. There's that word talented again boys, mm -hmm. I don't know how they getting in there. We have Mr. Alan Williamson and Mr. Chris O'Martin. Say hello lads. How's it going lads, how are you? How you doing? Nice to see you. No catchphrase this week, Chris Show. Um, no, I'm very, I'm I'm very serious this time. Very serious this, very, this episode. Very He's sad. taking notes. He has the highlighter marker out and all. He has all my old tweets printed off. He's going to say, you mother. <laughs> <laughs> I put X amount on Phillips to sign. <laughs> Plenty of that to come, lads. Give it time. Um, obviously, we have another voice here because I'm also delighted to welcome our special guest for this week's show. It's a man who is synonymous with Newcastle United transfer rumours, and is, of course, a member of our Irish Mags community, albeit the core contingent, but we won't, we won't hold that against them just yet. <laughs> Welcome to the Irish Mags show, Mr. Sean Casey, or should I say Mr. Fabrizio Casey, judging by what's on our screen. I appreciate the invite. You're very welcome you this week, John. And I do, apologize. You I do apologize for the abuse that will follow. Um, but again, take my model, thick skin. That's Sean, right, don't worry. It. There's two lads here from Dublin. They're well used to abuse, and rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> right. For anyone who's joining us for the first time, the Irish Mags are a passionate group of over 400 Irish Newcastle United fans from all over Ireland and beyond with community at the heart of everything that we do. And we provide you with honest, fan-centric NUFC content, including community events, match reviews, previews, support with tickets and travel, transfer and development news, and more to come shortly. And of course, in-depth interviews with guests that we have on the show. Um, the, this Irish Mag Show is a weekly podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. And all of the links to all of our socials are somewhere down there, buried in the descriptions and below the Twitch screen or on YouTube, wherever you are watching. And this week's episode will be uploaded during the week. Right, Sean. How are you doing, sir? We're going to start with you, of course. Seeing as you're here, we've got to put you under the microscope, especially the time of year that's in it. But before we dive into all the transfer talk, Sean, I think just in case any of our listeners are not aware of who, who you are and, and what you're doing here, um, maybe if you could just tell us, I suppose, who you are, how you came to be, I suppose, all things Newcastle United. And really, we'd love to hear how much you enjoy all the abuse that comes every time you tweet something uh, <laughs> transfer related about Newcastle. Um, do you know what the the funny thing about it is? I've actually kind of I've posted for about transfers and stuff like that for a while. You know, link originally came from somebody who used to get tickets off when I was younger. So I started traveling over to Newcastle when I suppose I started my trade when I was sixteen. So started getting proper money, and so I started to travel over and stuff like that. Made a contact for tickets, and for years, you know, like traveling over and back. And when the when the talks about the club being sold started kicking off and I suppose when the, the PIF group and Amanda Stavely and stuff like that, when they started getting involved, seriously involved about wanting to invest in the club, believe it or not, the person I used to get the tickets off had a very close contact to that group and that's how I started getting information from there. So I started putting stuff out on Twitter and stuff like that as I was hearing it, sharing what I could share, you know. And mm -hmm. um, Ben from um, Toon Mountain there, um, he retweeted one of my tweets and he was like, I think he like grabbed the before the tweets and he was like, who's this fella? Basically the last four things he said have come off, you know, 100% like, 
So actually at the time I was uh, I was kind of on my way down. We were going climbing Grand Tool and I left the phone in the car, came back down and I was like, I went from about 110 followers to like 3,000 in the space of about six <laughs> hours. Like I was like, what's going on here? And it kind of grew from that. So then I kind of started sharing information, just what I hear, you know. Um, I don't ask anybody to believe me, you know. You don't have to follow me. You know, why you get so wound up by my tweets is mad. Like, you know, it's kind of like, I find it hilarious. Like, you know, because people say you're being trolled. And I'm like, I don't see it that way. You know, it's my Twitter account. It's words on a screen. And you're shouting at some handsome fella on a Greek island in a picture. Like, you know, and, like, it's, it's you weird. Say so yourself, you know, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's like knocking at someone's door and saying, I don't like what you have on the TV. Will you turn it off? You know, like, it's of absolute no relevance to them. You can scroll past if you want to. You know, like, I've had somebody recently, like, I've been in DMs room for about three years, I'd say, you know, back and forth. They block me, they quote my tweets and call me out. Like, if you want, if you had a problem with me, just stay in my DMs, you know, like, and like, like we have done for the last three years. You know, instead, you know, they call me a narcissist, but they're the one that's blocking me, quoting my tweets and calling me out for likes, you know, so that's a bit mm. there, my friend, mm. you know. So, look, it is what it is. And, like, transfer rumors and stuff like that like they'll always divide opinion and people won't like it um but i put out what i hear and i'll continue to do it you know nothing's going to stop it i only ever block anybody from my account if they start abusing people on my timeline mm. you know i don't care about the abuse and stuff like that because nobody can tell me who i am because i know who i am you know so like i as, as i've said like you know i'm i'm confident i know who i am so when people start to say you're this that and the other i'm like okay yeah that's fair enough if that's what you think but when it starts to get messy like you know there was somebody in my like on my timeline say i suppose during the summer he was struggling mental health wise and stuff like that, and his parents actually reached out to me saying that he was getting a lot of abuse because he followed my account and this that you know so they gave me a few accounts and i blocked him from there you know and i just kind of go back oh. and dms or no because he didn't want to lock his own account because he had like 23 followers so then he had no interaction at all you know so I only ever block people if they start getting disrespectful to people that are following me as people are trying to interact with me and stuff like that. Like, you know, but people are afraid to interact with me positively knowing it because of the abuse they get, you know. So it's more fashionable to call me out than it is to actually try and interact with yeah, me. The question why, you know, because I can explain everything that I've ever said, you know, but once you get into explaining, then people are, oh, there he is, he's making excuses. And I'm like, yeah, just, fair just like, on that point, can I just jump in? Because you owe me 20 quid. I put 20 euro <laughs> on Fonseca becoming our manager off your tweet. <laughs> so, what happened there? That's no problem. There's still time. There's still I'd be, be able to buy a one point in Temple Bear. We can get that done. Yeah, Sean, and thanks for bringing us through that. I mean, look, yeah. we've all seen it, um, you know, in terms of like, yeah, I mean, you're not the only one, of course. Anyone who's a kind of in and around this environment knows you you know you get more bad than good because people are more likely to say something bad than good on the internet as we know the good news is sean you can you can uh, take a bit of happiness from this we have someone on youtube gerald sawyer saying that he's just paused dancing with the stars to watch this and to watch you so do you know what i mean that's 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 really Does he want me to here. start dancing just to kind of <laughs> <laughs> i can make up for last time i don't mind you know <laughs> we'll, we'll see how how quickly we run out of content but if we start irish mags dancing show, with the stairs and the bleakers <laughs> <laughs> we know the show has taken a serious turn if we reach that point so fingers crossed that that doesn't happen right well on that point we do have an absolute ton of content to get through this evening 
most importantly uh would be your questions so anyone who's watching us on youtube or on twitch get your questions in the chat uh, if you have anything you want to ask sean or have discussed in the show uh alan and krisho will be uh manning manning the chat and pulling the questions here for us to get through um and of course don't forget to subscribe if you're watching on youtube and drop us a follow over on twitch as well Lads, before we go into transfers, I just want to quickly get your reactions, uh, not only to the 2-0 win we had yesterday over Fulham, which was nice. We hadn't played a game for a while, so it's nice to bounce back with a win. But also the fifth round draw that just a few hours ago was confirmed, so we know that our opponents are going to be Blackburn, or it's always sunny in Wrexham, I guess is how we can describe it. Um, Alan, just uh, really quickly on, on the game, Looked like there was a quite a successful meetup up in the Bleecker Street Bar. Yeah, we did. We did a good old turnout for the Bleecker, uh, as usual. Let's be honest about it. Um, yeah, on the game, said the better. Um, wasn't pretty. We got a result. Mm. That's the sign of a good team playing badly, getting a result. That's exactly what you want. Um, on the draw, I am praying that Blackburn Rovers beat Wrexham. I do not want to get beaten on the Disney Channel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. I can't. I cannot watch next year's that Wrexham TV show and look at us getting knocked out of the cup. Yeah. So I'm praying we get Blackburn because even if we lose in Ewood Park, it's better than losing on the Disney Channel. I hadn't thought of that, but I probably yeah. don't watch the Disney Channel as much as you, Alan. But that's again, that's just a topic for another day. I would say. <laughs> um, Chris, really quickly over to you. Just yeah. like Alan kind of touched on the performance. Like, what was your take on that? Were we? A little bit poor, kind of rusty, maybe having not had a game for a while, or do we, you know, it was a good time when we came up against the poor side equally and just more work clinical. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's a collection of handsome fellas tonight because that was son of a bitch ugly yesterday. Uh, the whole thing was ugly. Uh, we didn't play well at all. Uh, in fact, if Fulham were a bit more clinical, they might have been uh, 2 0 uh, up. Uh, but second half, we played a lot better. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it, Dubravka did brilliantly again. I think he did really, really well. He made some excellent mm-hmm. saves. Um, but yeah, look, we got the win. We played bad and we won. So, you know, all of us will take that every day, all day. Uh, but it was, yeah. it was ugly. It wasn't great. Yeah, I think there's been talk about this. Like, we, we tend to either win well or lose. We don't always yeah. kind of have those really tight, you know, kind of win, mm. win ugly games, which is good to see. And I've heard, I've, I have come across quite a bit of praise for Dubravka since that kind of first game he stepped mm. in. Um, like, I mean, for you, Sean, like what were your thoughts on it in terms of individual performances? Anyone that stood out, do you think anything from that game might make us react from a transfer market perspective as well? I don't think so, really. You know, like the functionally, it's just not working. You know, like everything that worked well last season isn't mm. happening this season. That's down to injuries as well. You know, when you mm. take Joe Willock and you take Joe Linting out of the side, you're taking out two incredible athletes, right? If you look at the Fulham game and where attacks broke down and where they kind of started to hurt us, you could copy and paste that into any game this season and even last season. You know, the, the simple fact is, right, the way the system is designed, you know, if you look at our you know, back four and our midfield three, right, with Joe Linton, and when you had a full team, you had Joe Linton, you had Willock, you know, you had everybody firing. That gap in between the midfield and the defence was was a bear pit. You know, if if the ball came in there, you know, we were, we were turning teams over quickly, breaking, you know, press was incredible, everything worked. If you look at it now, when it's not functioning, Dan Byrne is coming narrow, 
either Shea or Botman is trying to step into the midfield, you don't have that cover on the left-hand side that you are getting, you know, from either Joe Linton or Willock. is either Longstaff or Miley there, and they just don't understand that role on the left. You know, it, it seems so alien to them. And then you have Gordon, who's not tracking as much. He tracks enough for a left-sided forward, but not enough of a Joe Willock or a Joe Linton, you know. So that's where it functionally fails. And so the left side, there's huge gaps there. And again, you can copy and paste that into the AC Milan game. You can do it into any game you want. You know, anytime we've conceded like that, it's again, the, one of the defenders will try to step into the midfield. Bourne comes very tight, and then you don't have the protection of Joe Linton and Willock because they played so well on the left last season. You know, that gap in the midfield looks astronomical now because we don't have the players to fit the system. And I do believe that Eddie Howe has the, the he, he can become an elite manager. You know, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Mm. But I do have concerns the way that he hasn't adjusted things to close that gap in midfield when he mm -hmm. didn't have the personnel to do it. You know, and it's it's the same with Fulham, you know, and it'll be the same for the rest of the season, you know, because even if we do get somebody in it, it's not going to be a six and I don't think he's going to restrict Ramirez of pushing him back in there. The way that the, the midfielders are stepping in and not having Joe Linton and Willock, it's a big ask, you know, and it's like last season was the perfect storm. If you look at it, Newcastle actually had the least change, the second least changes to the starting 11 for the whole season. I think Arsenal could have been first. So we... We didn't have to change our first 11 for 30 plus games. The team that won yeah. the league, Man City, actually changed their first 11 the most. Right? That's why that, that's why Villa mm. that's why Villa are doing very well this season. They really haven't changed to start 11 for a, a series of games, and, and it shows. You know, they're they're a tight team. That's why I'm worried about. But see, it's and that's why it's so unlucky as well. Like you know, when you think of it, because Villa have had the same amount of games and they're playing Europa League as well. You know, yeah. so like so they're they're alternating their team in the Europa League. So that's why you talk about increasing the baseline. Then, like you have to have a core group of players that no matter who you could put in, they can carry out the basic instructions that the other players can. You know, Miley is a fantastic talent. You know, but he needs to understand how how to play on the the right side of a midfield tree first, without shoehorning him into the left side of midfield tree, which can mm -hmm. be totally alien for a right footed player. Sean Langstaff isn't comfortable on the left side of midfield tree. We've seen this a million times. You know, so that's the thing. You know, when you increase that baseline, you need to be able to alternate your players. I know talking about Man City is blue sky thinking because they've developed this for years, but they changed their starting eleven more between games rather than actually making changes in game you have to have a core group of players that can carry out the instructions that the manager wants trying to replace that with you know when you have Joe Linton Willock and I keep on saying them you know mm. incredible athletes same with Almiron same with Sean Longstaff on the other side you have absolutely workhorses that will bring everything to the table and they give you 100% every single game you know the drop off from them is crazy and that's what we that's what needs to be addressed. It won't be addressed this season. You know, it probably won't be addressed for another two transfer windows. And with the way we have with the way we are money wise, we don't have money to spend in January. You know, so we need a player out. They've been trying to ship players out since the start of the January window, but they've had no bites on it. Like, you know, our players that we're trying to sell are probably second, third, fourth, fifth down the list on other clubs. And that's why it's going into the last couple of days. Yeah, and I mean <sighs> You talked about Villa, and it made me think of Liverpool as well. I think I don't want to say they've been fortunate from an injury perspective. It's just mm. we've been so unfortunate by comparison. Yeah. Like you know, a few other teams are obviously suffering with injuries, and you know, it's the game, it's the scheduling, it's oh, all this talks about oh, VAR is causing injuries because of holdups and play and all that. But like, I feel like Villa, you know, I think Tyrone Mings was out for a long one, and then Quendia. But aside from that, they've been relatively, relatively fortunate. I would say on the injury front, and, and if, likewise at Liverpool. So, if you look at if you look at the Villa team. How many athletes are in that team? You know, 
Yeah. They don't have a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the difference. You know, with Newcastle, we're relying on athletes, which is which is a, a different thing. You know, if you look at the, the Villa team, you look at the midfielder like Camara and these players, fantastically technically gifted players and they understand space so well. The thing with the likes of Jolinton and Willock and you know Longstaff, they will just work teams into the ground and they will outwork every single player because they're cardio machines, you know. Relying on that going into the season, Captain Hindsight will say you shouldn't have because you're going to break the body down. If you look at Jorgen Klopp at Dortmund the year he the year he left, it was the same thing. You know, he he was relying on athletes and he, he ran them into the ground and they broke. I'm not saying that how did, you know, but this is what's going to happen. If you have players that are sprinting non-stop for 90 minutes and they're obviously doing that intensity level as well in training. Now you add in mm-hmm. a Champions League where they're not training for two days in the midweek. You know, and then you have cup games in as well on top of that. And now you have injuries. You know, it's almost like we had the perfect storm last season and it was just the total opposite this year. You know, yeah. but I think we have to be very patient as well because you're talking about a manager and coaching staff that have never managed the Champions League season. You know, Eddie Howe is still very young in the sense of managing Bournemouth versus managing a team at the level of Newcastle where we are with the ownership and stuff like that. It takes time. We're allowed to be frustrated and we're allowed to have observations and we're allowed to give out and complain. We follow this club all our lives. You know, so we can we have the opportunity to complain. You know, we can ask questions of mm-hmm. why we don't understand things. Like I still don't understand why he isn't addressing that gap in midfield when he doesn't have the athletes to close it. Because if you watch it time and time again, Bourne comes narrow and he's almost over, looking over his shoulder, waiting for Willicott Jordan to cover that space from, and they don't, and we get done every time. And that gap in midfield then remains there. You know, and it's just like Liverpool was an absolute embarrassment. You know, it's just he hasn't set up yet to reserve energy you know yeah. in play he still has you still have your mid like simple things you know your full backs if you want to reserve energy your full backs never go past the ball you know and your your centre midfielder don't go past the centre circle reserve energy against Liverpool every single time Bourne chalk on his boots outside way up you know wrong side of the pitch you had the same routine Liv Minto you know way too high not reserving energy they went flat to the clappers against Liverpool away from home I couldn't fucking believe it you know and that is you are going to be frustrated with that same thing with Forrest like you know like Forrest caught us on the break a couple of times before they actually scored Yeah, and he never done anything to address it Mm. you know and I absolutely 100% feel sorry for injuries because I don't know an injury crisis like it where a manager has it's not only losing players but losing key pillars of the squad Mm. Yeah, you know it hasn't really happened like that for a manager I do feel sorry for him, but I am critical of how he's actually addressed it. Yeah, and I think, like you, you touched on, there's, there's a lot of new things happening for the management team, for the coaching team, for the players as well. A lot of them haven't played this in this, like, not just playing Champions League football and, and the opponents there, but that frequency of games. You know, you take out Trippier and Bruno and a few of them, like, it's just not that much experience. Um, you mentioned there, Sean, big pillars, and I think that's a good place to start. We're going to jump into some questions in a moment, but... Um, there is a there is a mention of Callum Wilson here, and I think that's probably poignant because just in the last few hours is a, a Chelsea rumor actually surfacing, uh, which gives us which gives us something to think about because we know Chelsea uh, definitely have their striker issues. So, um, I guess Sean, like Callum Wilson, is in that leadership circle. I think he's been a oh, he's been our top goal scorer. He's got us out of a lot of holes. Um, what's what's your latest take on on Callum Wilson in terms of an outgoing transfer? I think the well, realistically, like the, the thing with Wilson is he's been told he can leave. You know, mm-hmm. say Miguel Almiron, like, you know, there's been a couple of players told and you can see the reaction to it, all these cryptic tweets and stuff like that. So but the problem for Wilson is that 
absolutely exceptional striker, but he's never fit. You know, and I don't think yeah. he took the Dubai went down too well either when he was injured and recovering. You know, so he is on the list for, for Chelsea. And, you know, a couple of people have said that for the last two or three weeks, but the problem is he's down the list. You know, and I honestly think if they got an offer for Wilson and even without a replacement, they'd let him go because they know that you have the likes of, you have Arsenal, you have Chelsea and stuff like that. They need a striker and they need a late in the window. If mm-hmm. they make an offer, they'll accept it. You know, replace them, say, if Harvey Barnes and Joe Willock come back and they're fit, Gordon, Quinn to the centre, you know, can mm-hmm. as a striker. The season, mm-hmm. not saying just a dead rubber, but getting a striker isn't vital now. I think getting money in is more important. You know, I don't think, like, this window was designed in probably three different ways with Champions League football, with Europa League football, and without. And we're seeing it without nowhere. We have to be very careful with FFP because we are on the borderline of kind of falling foul of FFP. <laughs> You know, there's two sponsorship deals that they thought they'd have lined up by now, but there's been timing issues there. You know, so I think they're with the Premier League at the moment, but they're dragging their feet over them, so you can't bank on that because if they don't happen or if something goes wrong, then you're minus 10 points next season, you know. Mm. How yes, much do we talk for Wilson? I'd say probably talking 15, 20 million, I'd say. Yeah. You know, yeah. and again, at that, I'd say it'd be very, very structured, you know, in the sense mm. of you're probably talking, you might get, say, 10 million up front and 5 million if he plays X amount of games and things like that, like, you know, mm. because, like, let's be honest, if it Callum Wilson, I'd have more of a Ivan Tony, Watkins, any of them time after time, you know, he, he's not for sale, you know, but if we were interested in Callum Wilson right now, you'd be kind of thinking, Jesus Christ, I'd know about him, like, is he going to play? Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's why he's going. That's why a club like Chelsea are looking out for luxury. But I think if he does stay in the summer, I think we probably see him go to Saudi. Mm. Mm. Speaking yeah. of Saudi, that's a good a good tangent. I think we had a question <laughs> there uh, about Almiron, but uh, like you know, you mentioned it there, Sean. Like it's it's the other really logical asset that we might look at from an outgoing perspective. A player that we obviously do have players in other positions for. Um, and looking at his age contract and all that, there's, there's value to be got there, I guess. Um, is the Al Shabab links done? Has it died completely? It, it, no, it's it really not. It's, had it, momentum and then it stopped. You like know? the the thing with Almiron is, so there's the Al Shabab one. That's there. You know that deal is on the table if they want to do it. Almiron doesn't want to leave. You know I think it's Al Al as well. One of one of those other clubs. They also have an offer on the table from, but they can't do it until the summer because I think they're still bound by the the amount of foreign players they can have. I don't think the new rules coming until the summer. So there's a lot of interest in Almiron from Saudi. There was a lot of interest last summer. He rejected it last summer. He wanted to stay. He rejected it. He's rejecting it so far this January. He wants to stay. He wants to move back to Atlanta. You know, and there is, they, I suppose I would have probably said last summer and probably start the window, there is an opportunity for him to go back there in the summer. And that's where he wants to go. So I think the players are looking at that. So money changes minds. But as of now, you know, the player isn't keen on moving. But again, you know, it's there. It's there to be done. You know, I think you're probably yeah. talking about the, the 20 to 25 million mark, like, you know, which is great money from he's off the books now in terms of FFP because it's five years up in his contract. So it's pure profit. You know, so when you look at the likes of Wilson, the likes of Almiron, like, you know, selling these players now, it's nearly pure profit. Like, Yeah, and there is an element yeah. of logic on it, even though there's a, I mean, I know myself, I'll speak for myself here, but, you know, you grow attached to these lads when they've been around mm. a long time, and especially because they've seen the shit times. To, yeah. to now be reaping the benefits of the good times, mm. you know, like they've brought us there, you know, especially, I mean, the, the, the running that Miggy's done, you know, I mean, he must have more <laughs> like age in his legs than his actual age, that's for sure. Um, right, it, before we dive into the question, sorry, go ahead, Sean. No, no, go on, go on, go on, belt away to questions. Yeah, I was going to just, um, before we dive into the questions, one more question I really wanted to ask you on an outgoing front, and this, this is an emotive topic, um, which has a, a lot of us on the edge, and it's Joel Linton. Now, mm. 
no, like in one way, okay, it's not not anything to be concerned in the very immediate uh, future for this window in particular. And obviously, he's out injured for the season, but I can't stop seeing a tweet every day. Joe Linton has played his last game for Newcastle, and it's it's a tough one because again, he was there for the, the shit times. He's basically you know reinvigorated his career, become such an unbelievable um, number eight for us, and getting capped for Brazil, right? All all through obviously the coaching and himself. Be awful hard to see him walk out the door, Sean. But see, the, the thing for me with Joe Linton is I actually was the first one to report this. It's not like me to claim a story, you know? Jimmy, I'd be very modest like that. Um, but <laughs> I got dogs abuse when I tweeted why you're being so negative and stuff like that because it's it's a very relevant conversation in the sense of yeah. I think he's on about 80 grand a week and Paul, we've offered him around 120-ish around that mark and he wants more because there's a lot of clubs looking at him, you know, and there's a, I told there's a Premier League club. I'm going to, the hinting towards me like it's Chelsea are really, really looking at him. You know, I would have put out a hint there a couple of weeks back saying that um, Pochettino really misses that Dembele role in the system. You know, and I don't think Joe Linton is identical to him the way he was at Spurs, but again, it's that aggressive athletic ball carrier mm-hmm. that he wants from midfield. For me, with Joe Linton, you know, I always kind of, when players are going to go and you have an emotional attachment to them, I absolutely love Joe Linton. Like, you know, if, when my kids get older and if I'm ever going to teach them about mental strength and all this kind of stuff in sport, I'll tell them the story of Joe Linton and how he got on a Newcastle and what he done. You know, his redemption arc is incredible. But when I speak to other fans about it, and I was like, you know, a friend of mine, Liverpool fan, I was like, would you pay 30, 40 million for Joe Linton? He's like, okay, 28 years of age. If you take away his athleticism, what does he have? I'm like, okay. He's like, that's the thing. He said, if you watch him at the start of the season when he was carrying this injury, because this injury has been his knee and his tie for basically most of the season. It's kind of the injury is pretty kind of related, you know. He's like, if you look at the games where he was hampered by that injury, if you take away his athleticism, he doesn't give you much value on the ball. Yeah. So when I think about it as a new, when you put the neutral cap on, you're kind of thinking, okay, it makes sense that in the summer if somebody offers you 30 to 40 million from at 28 years of age, and I'm not saying 28 years of age is old, but you know, if you're giving him a four year or five year contract, you're thinking, okay, relying on his athleticism, he's an absolute monster. How long does his athleticism carry him? You know, mm. again, when the speed goes and that power and aggression, where's the technical game? You know, and I'm saying that with a very heavy app because I absolutely love the man. Like, I think he's, I think he's my favorite Newcastle player. First name on the team sheet, you know, time after time. But I can see the logic behind it that they don't want to give him a long four or five year contract on big money because that decline could be rapid. You know, yeah. this season isn't, mm-hmm. you put this season down to look at injuries and stuff like that. And he's probably pushed himself too far. You know, as was said to me by somebody close to the club, is that I think the team, I think the, you, does, does you manage an injury? but you have to manage the player as well. Mm. Joe Linton's leg could be half falling off and he'll tell you he'll play. Mm. And I think that's what they mismanaged at the start of the season. They went on how the player felt and he just wanted to keep on playing because he wants to be in the Brazil squad. So he probably played a lot of the time through injuries to the detriment of himself. I know he's ended up where he is. You know, so I don't think they managed the player well along with the injury. So I think they, I think a few people have to hold their hands up there, you know. But yeah, the medical me, staff. Yeah, the medical staff have to hold their hands up it's, there. It's not even that though. Like, you know, like the, the medical staff. So like, you see a lot of people fucking harping on about the medical staff, you know, but like the medical staff will give their diagnosis, right? Mm. Then you have the player and then the management staff then as well, you know? So there's, there's three, there's three equations there. It's easy to point at the medical staff, you know, they might say he needs four weeks off. The player said, no, I'm grand. I can run, you know? And then the manager's like, he's telling me he can run, you know? So there's a lot of stuff to bring into the equation there. So like they're easy, can they're an easy target, 
you know, but again, look, they probably have got things wrong as well. But yeah. that's my feeling on it. And with Jolinton, they won't increase the offer. Um, and I think he'd probably go because, again, you know what? He's in his fifth season, he's in his fourth season, so does he has a year left on the books for FFP. So you're talking what we paid 40 million from, so there's about roughly about 8 million, 7, 8 million left to pay off. And when you're talking FFP, why? So you're talking if you're getting 40 million from 30 million, you're getting 20, like if you're getting 30 million, you're getting probably 20 odd million pro- pure profit. So that's very good towards FFP then as well. And it probably keeps Bruno for another season in that sense, you know. That's, Alan, you look that, like you're having an emotional yeah. dilemma there, so we're going to come to you. <laughs> That's a depressingly good way of looking at it, if I'm honest with you, Sean. I did, didn't want to look at it like that, but when you speak I, about it from a neutral point of view, you're going, yeah. There's I a can. reason people pay me so much to come on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you start this rumor already. I've this already. <laughs> I have not received any payments. Uh, Chris Shaw has sent me some. Um, thank you, everyone. <laughs> I have sent have. With just a hat on, I will lead the rest of your imagination. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what Alan's been promising now we talk to you about this, Alan. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. That's a depressingly Sean, t- good way yeah. of looking at it. Because, yeah, it's that's all right, if I know what I mean. And I don't want it to be right, but it is all right, what you've just said. And I love that man. He's a, a mountain of a man, and I don't want him to go anywhere. But could he be replaced soon? I think he could as well. It'd be lovely as well if... um. You know, you talked about like you're managing the player. The player wants to play the medical team, but like, you know, again, down to injuries, it's hard. Like, you want to manage his minutes by having other players that can come in, but we've just not absolutely that. So. You know, because you, you probably yeah, his his probably his injury us. went in tandem with with Joe Willock as well. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, and you know, like the the you talk about athletes and athleticism. Like Joe Willock is is that? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I worry about him yeah. though. Anyway. Mm. We will come. We'll probably come back to that topic. But I think you know we've talked about midfield. We've talked about not having options. Um, we've talked about paying Sean, which we're not going to do. But Sean, I'll, <laughs> I'll pay you in compliments because we have a couple of lads in chat here um, praising your tactical knowledge. Uh, so we, had, I think, it was David Walsh basically said, "ITK stuff aside, there are very few on NUFC Twitter that see the game well as tactically as Sean. Insights are always spot on." So that's there's uh, that the first. Uh, the first installment of your payment and Mark Burns says Sean's understanding of the tactical side of the things on the pitch is fantastic. So there's your compliment anymore for the time being. <laughs> um, thanks for all the comments, folks. And yeah, if you are watching us or listening on YouTube, on Twitch, get your questions in the chat because we're going to go straight into them right now. And we're going to really focus on incoming transfers. We'll probably be looking at a mix of January and I guess the summer as well. Um, summer's not that far away, realistically. Do you know you're talking four months, but obviously everybody wants it now. Um, we have Simon Mulholland uh, first off the block. He said, I feel like I'm the only one to see this, but this club are crying out for a top class left wing back and a number 10. Does anyone out there agree? The number 10 one is interesting considering we, we don't really deploy one. Um, mm. So I'll start with you, Sean, in terms of you've got two questions there really, a left wing back and then and then potentially a number 10 or an attacking midfielder. So if you look at it, right, if you look at football and if you look at attacking, right, you have <laughs> three key pillars of attack. Right, you have control attacks, you have transitions, right, and you have set pieces. Right. Last year our transitions, both defensively and offensively, have been incredible. Our controlled attacks were terrible. You know, a controlled mm-hmm. attack is where you can actually maintain possession in the final third, the likes of your Bernardo Silva's Phil Fordens and stuff like that. You know, that's why James Madison, you know, made so much sense. It was just like the absolute perfect signing. So People say you don't need a number 10, but the, the traditional number 10 is gone. Your 10 now essentially is basically your right winger or your left winger. 
is your 10, you know, somebody that is really comfortable on the ball, but you also have the tactical fluency that you can cover their defensive work. So essentially, like, defensively, you have two forwards, you know, that's your number 10 staying high on either the left or the right and keeping the full back pinned in. So I think absolutely we need a number 10 in the skill set wise, but not actually in the position on the pitch. You know, a lot of people will say 4-3-3, but if you watch a game, a team very rarely actually stays in the formation you put on paper. You know, like Man City go with two at the back. You know, nine times out of ten, they'll play with two at the back. They'll play with four in midfield. They're actually a 2-4-4 rather than a 4-4-2. You know, so, like, I think the traditional formation on paper is just actually put something down on paper. If you watch a team in play, the formation is totally different. You know, so I think a left wing back wouldn't suit us and it's not going to happen. It's not what Howe wants, I don't think. And I think with signing Livermento, our right back as well, you know, like, you, you talk about tactical versus technical trade-off. And that's why I'd always say Bourne will start. And I took a lot of abuse in the group and stuff like that. Like, Bourne will start nine times out of ten at left-back because of his heading ability. You know, mm. we passed on Grimaldo because of this. You know, Lewis Hall was brought in. But, like, people say play Hall, play Hall. And I've done it myself, like, you know, like in cup games and stuff. But he's only 18. He's just a kid. You know, he's learning mm. the game. And if you watched mm-hmm. Hall play last season, there was a lot of defensive gaps to his game. So, allow him the time to work through it because from what I'm hearing is that the obligation will be hit anyway but it's, it's based on the position that we finish in the league you know um, so that obligation should be met so we're getting a left back I think we will see more of a I think we'll bring in a centre back that is comfortable playing in the full back position rather than bringing another left back you know I think we will look at somebody very much in the Dan Bourne mould that can play centre back and left back you know so I think we'll probably see two centre backs coming in the summer and the number 10 position then you have Morgan Gibbs-White so I think essentially you'll probably see Gibbs White to come in to replace Joe Linton um, if Joe Linton does leave and I know you're thinking okay they don't match in position wise but then you'll bring somebody else into the midfield to match mm-hmm. that but what you'll see and what you need is you need stabilizers in your team and what a stabilizer is is a multifaceted player that can play in multiple positions you know we lack that in our baseline of players mm-hmm. big time you know like we have X amount of right sided midfielders that can't play on the left side of midfield three you know, like people might say, oh, midfield is midfield. You know, but it's it's not like it's totally yeah. different. So I absolutely agree. If I was looking at the team, I'd say yes, fair enough. You know, in my eyes, I'd bring in a left back that is excellent at going forward, and then you have Livermento. You have the left back. Then you bring in a number six. You know, in the mold of who just say you could even think. I know Onan is a bit of an eight as well, but like any six. Basically, name a number six and you can put them in there, a Declan Rice type, split the centre-backs and your midfielder creates a back three then. But Eddie Howe won't do that. You know, when you're when you're talking about players coming into the club, look through Eddie Howe's eyes in a sense and it's not me saying, oh, you know exactly what Eddie Howe was thinking. I think we all know by now. You know, you have to be six foot, athletic and be able to play in a couple of positions. With Dan Bourne, Dan Bourne's height has to be replaced. The reason why we didn't sign... Um, the likes of Tibido and players that were linked during the summer at right centre-back is because their heading ability isn't good enough. They weren't good enough in the air. They had the pace. We need pace in defence. We've been done for pace so many times this season. It's frightening. And we play a high enough line. And with Nick Pope, you know, as well, kind of compounded that. But we won't sign a centre-back that isn't good in the air. And he will trade pace for heading ability. You know? So... Mm. 
that's the thing when you talk left wing back you're thinking the likes of your Grimaldo's and Jorich there who's at um, RB you know these flying forward you mm-hmm. know non-stop up and down the line DeMarco you know we we did whole talks on Inter Milan about DeMarco there was a very good deal to be done there but again you're talking heading ability you know like it's that trade-off like and that's what people have to when you're talking about player X, Y and Z you have to think of the tactical trade-off you know Eddie Howe Next season, if you look at our starting eleven, you're going to have to have a minimum of three players that are above six foot that can head the ball really well. That's what he is wants. There anything, is there anything in your man Piero in Hin, from Leverkusen? Now I know he's going to be big, big money. I genuinely think, and I've said this a few times, I think if Hall didn't become available at Crystal Pass, I think he probably could have been a Newcastle player in the summer. You know, right. um, yeah. he was offered to a couple of English clubs. Mm-hmm. We were very interested in him, and you know, I know the scouting team pushed his name fairly hard. But I'd say we're probably gone past the stage and we've been able to afford him this year. Mm. You know, I think he's gone up that level and I think we have to stretch our budget a little bit more. I think in the last transfer window, we focused too much on bringing in players that would impact the first 11 rather than actually kind of come in and build that baseline of the squad. Like, you know, all the money was put towards uh, Harvey Barnes and Sandra Tonelli. We signed great mm. players, but we didn't address the glaring weaknesses. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and like... Everyone talks about being a long-term kind of a, a thing, right? And maybe we're just an impatient fan base because it's, it's, we've taken a long time to get to where we are. But the reality of it is everyone says that, you know, we're, we're probably ahead of where we're meant to be. That applies, uh, that applies all over the place. Um, I have a question here then. Uh, you, you mentioned height, uh, Sean. Georgie Mamardashvili, because that man is about six foot eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, so you the goalkeeper. Are... Um, there's a rumor that, Pope is at a setback with his injury. We have a question from Callum. Uh, any any talks there on Mamadashvili or the goalkeeper position? It won't be this summer. Or it won't be this January, sorry. But in the summer, they'll look at they'll look at Ramsdale, who is Eddie Howe's choice. right? You look at Mamadashvili, who is the scout's choice. And then you look at a player that can challenge Pope. So Ramsdale will go straight in as number one, sir. Mamadashvili will go straight in as number one. So that's you have your Eddie Howe choice, you have your scouting team choice. right? And then number three, you have your one that will come in and challenge Pope which is Shilavir, I think his name is the Lille goalkeeper. So they're the three that they're looking at at the moment. You know, so like people say, you link a lot of names to the clubs and stuff like that, but clubs will have like 500 players on the database. Absolutely. You know, like, and what people don't realise is that no scouting has changed massively. Nearly every team uses the same database. You know, like these players are available to everyone. It's just the decision of the manager of who they select to sign. You know, the way the Brighton model is and the way it works is that Deserby Potter previously, you know, he's like, if you can be a player that fits my system, let's try him out. You know, whereas Howe is very much on the Premier League and leaders, and I do understand it. I've been critical um, in a sense of why so many Premier League players and stuff. But if you look at this summer that's coming up, right, you're talking, we're losing them, but we're going to lose um, Lascelles. We're losing Wilson. We're losing Richie. We're losing Paul Dummett. Losing Almiron. You know, Almiron mightn't be vocal, but you can guarantee Almiron's the first out in the training ground. He's running around the place like a wasp. You know, that's a bar setter. So we're losing five critical players to that leadership group in the sense of the example that they set. So that's why he's so keen on bringing in Premier League players that he knows that they're going to give him a certain amount. You know, the likes of Harvey Barnes and players like these. That's why he wants these players and he knows them. He's done the background checks. He knows these players are going to come in and become his next leadership group to tie us over until we start to bring in these players. So I think we have to be very patient. I am against this 
all Premier League players. <clears throat> when it comes to talent wise, he may able to stretch the budget, but he has to build a new leadership group. You know, so I think we have to trust how on that. You know, people will say Philip Billing, he's this, that, and the other. Philip Billing is not a bad footballer. He's not the first I no. pick. You know, Philip Billing is a good footballer. He's been made available to the club. Works hard, good player, gives 100% on the pitch, absolutely bullied us at St. James's Park last season. He's the first player I've seen physically dominate Joe Linton. Like, that's a player that could come in and be a very strong leader. You know, talent is one thing, leaders are another. Mm. You know, and, and that's the yeah. and that's the thing. Like, you know, so like he has to, he has, I think people have to be very patient because replacing this leadership group is going to take time, it's going to be frustrating. And realistically, it's probably the still it's the same leadership group and a lot of the core players that were there through the through the Steve Bruce Steve Bruce times, the Mike Ashley times. Do you know what I mean? So absolutely, even yeah. though we've gone through transition, we're still going through transition, and we still have a lot more transition to go. Um, another question in chat here, and sticking just with that defensive uh, defensive area, I guess. Um, question here from Callum again: Would we look at any frees in the summer? And he's named to uh, Lloyd Kelly, who's obviously at Bournemouth. I didn't know he was available in free. Um, but I do know that Tossin Adarabayo at Fulham is on a free. Any whispers there um, on those players for any clubs, and obviously specifically Newcastle? But like um, Tossin, so he's been linked to the club for a long time. If, just after the takeover happened, I would have put out a tweet saying that the two top centre back targets are Sveb Bump and then Tossin Adarabayo. So he's been there and he's always been linked, but we've never actually pushed through on a transfer from I don't know why, you know, but the club like him. You know, they know he's a good lad, fantastic in the air. He has absolutely every attribute that we look for in a player. The thing about him, though, is he's not signed the new contract and he's turned down multiple moves. You know, like he had a couple of moves to Italy, France, and stuff like that lined up. I think he could have went to Spurs in the summer, turned that down. So he's turning down a lot of moves. So is he just waiting to see out the contract and see what happens in the summer, you know? But yeah, he's definitely on the agenda, you know? If you're looking at the, the two top targets for centre-back positions, and I'll get back to Kelly in a second, it's probably Tucson, I'd say. Well, at the top level, you're talking, they like, they like Tapsoba, but the problem with him is that he plays his best football on the left side of a centre-back, yeah. whereas he's right for the centre-back, but much like Guay there at um, Palace, they're actually more comfortable on the left side. If you put them on the right side, they're not, they don't just, just don't look as, as good, you know? So you have Tapsoba, who they've looked at, but it's Malik Thaw at um, AC Milan. That's the number one. If they could... I'm telling you, if you could offer the any centre-back in the morning, he's the one that they'd choose. So he's the one that... So we have a centre-back position to fill, right? You have Tall, who can play across the back four. He's comfortable in the full-back positions. He's comfortable on the left side and the right side. The centre-back is even comfortable stepping into midfield. Mm. So he has the skill set that we're looking for. Good in the air, quick, absolutely everything. And then you have Tucson as well, who they're also looking at. So you have to replace the gap that's there, but you also have to replace Lascelles, who's leaving. You know, so depending on the price, they're the two ones that they're looking at. You know, so on Lloyd Kelly, Lloyd Kelly was the first one that Eddie Howe tried to sign. He tried to sign him a couple of times that January, um, but just couldn't make the deal happen. They wanted excessive amounts. Since then, he's broke down so many times. You know, mm. and you talk about athleticism, and he's very much a player that he'd probably look to fill that left-back role instead of Bourne. His, like he, he constantly has muscle injuries all the time. You know, there's something wrong there, and I... Maybe on a free, they'll take a risk on him, depending on what the wages is, but a free transfer is never free. You know, Grimaldo was a free transfer, but you're talking 120 grand a week, and it was a 9 million signing on fee. So you could actually end up probably paying more, more money on the side. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, so a free transfer is never free, you know, and that's what people have to factor in as well. Like, you know, so it depends what it looks like in the summer, I suppose. But again, the AC Milan, Spurs, Liverpool, they're looking at him because he's a player. 
you know, but just understanding his injuries is the thing. And I think Newcastle be very cautious about invested in injured players. Well, we've been traumatized by injury, let's be fair. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to create a whole different dimension on the medical whenever, if and when we do, we do get players over the line. Um, Sean, I feel like we, we are doing a lot of talk. Like I think we're all I, we're all level level headed enough here anyway, lads. The four of us, at least, to be to be able to look. Chris was shaking his head to be looking into the future and thinking. You know, there's there's plans. There's the summer. There's obviously what happens after the uh, the first of July with the financial calendar and stuff. So I've got a question here from the Golden God. I'm actually going to bring it up on screen, um, and it says, you know, bear in mind as we record this, it's the 28th of January. So we're what three days out from the transfer window closing. So the question from the Golden God, Sean, is what do you think is the most realistic signing we could make before the end of January? Or if you had to pick one, I suppose, to put your house on it, Sean. Um, <laughs> I'd see, I'm, there's only two players since probably, I'd say, mid-December to know that I've heard at the club I've had genuine talks with, and that's Philip Billing and Calvin Phillips. So as of now, it's probably, they're like um, Rocco Reitz at Manchin-Gladbach, mm -hmm. but they're flying in the league He's an absolute staunch fan. I don't think they'll sell him in January. I know they've definitely inquired. So they've inquired about a lot of players. You know, but uh, when you talk with genuine Desiree Douay as well, at um, Rennes, who they've looked at a few times. So when you talk about actual concrete links, that like players that their club will sell them, you know, Bournemouth are being very favourable in the deal they're offering. Because for Bournemouth with Billing, you're talking, they owe nothing on him. His, his, his fee is off the books, essentially. You know, so they can afford to loan him out once his wages are covered and any money at all they get is profit. You know, when you're loaning Calvin Phillips, like the thing with the Calvin Phillips deal is, like if you're loaning Calvin Phillips, um, he has, and what this is what this is what Man City asked for, right? They wanted his amortized amount covered on the loan deal. So they've signed him for 50 million, right, over five seasons. So there's a lot of talk with 7 million, 8 million, all this kind of stuff. They wanted 5 million because that's how much they're paying from, right? And you pay his wages. You know, that's what they mm. right? And it, it's not wages too, right? You're talking about 130 grand a week, you know. So again, when you're in negotiations with Joe Linton and you're offering a mix, you know, you're bringing in a 28-year-old player and you're covering him on 120 grand a week, you know. With Calvin Phillips, if we were in Europa League, even Champions League, or if we we saw the player in the first week of the window, he'd be a Newcastle player, you know. Then Joe Linton, Andrea Sunderland compounded that. Right, why I went all in. If you, like, if you look back at it, I was the one that was denying it the whole time because I just couldn't see it. And there was a few personal things as well with him that I was kind of thinking we won't go near him. But too many people started saying it. It was very openly talked about, kind of amongst recruitment teams, journals, and stuff like that. And I suppose probably late December, Calvin Phillips was basically a Newcastle player. The players at the training ground were waiting for his arrival. Um, he was in full agreement. He knew what the plan was for him. And the clubs were in talks with a bit of brinksmanship there. And there was an open agreement that look, uh, they were pushing for an obligation first and there was no obligation. So as I would have said at the time, Newcastle didn't want to pay his wages in full. And that's what the kind of talks were centered around. But the deal will get done. The player wants it. Newcastle want him. Then the Jolinton injury came into play. You know, and things change. It's simple as that, really. Like, you know, so look, again, I can for, I know... I'm probably clairvoyant. I should be able to see the future, like, but I couldn't see Joe Linton, unfortunately. Uh, but that's what happened, you know. And it's if Joe Linton doesn't get injured, Calvin Phillips is a Newcastle player, you know. And mm. 
things change. You know, there was no seven million fee or anything like that. Like it was, you cover as a mortalized amount because we don't want to be paying for a player to go on loan and you pay his wages in full. You know, simple as that. Things change. That might be the title of this week's podcast, Sean. Thank you very much. You've done the job. <laughs> you, I usually have to say that every week. Like. <laughs> <laughs> things change. But yeah, um, if you ask me, I'd say billing is probably the only one that's active at the moment. And it's not a case of that we went out chasing billing. It was made available to us, I think, more than more than anything else because in around the Onana links and stuff like that, it's not realistic to buy Onana in January. Same with Gibbs White. You know, I just think that was... See, people say to me, you're clickbait. There's nothing to click on. It's my account. I'm not monetized. I'm not blue ticked. You know, there's a fella saying, it was like, don't click on his things. Don't comment on him. Don't like him because then he stops making money. I'm like how does that happen like to even understand it better work so like the definition of clickbait is onana and gibbs white everybody knows that they're not targets until the summer we don't mm. have the money you know the same people that are telling us that we're bound by ffp are trying to tell us that we're going to make a 60 million pound transfer in january and if everton if if we even contacted everton for onana you know they would be singing from the rooftops because what you have to remember as well is that probably the focal point of the Amazon documentary, probably I think it was like episode one or two, was Stavely hardballing Everton. They're not yeah. going to do her any favours in the transfer. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I love the woman. She's been incredible for the club and stuff like that. But like, uh, I've never seen anybody openly talk about negotiations like that and use it as a selling point for a documentary. It just, it didn't look professional. Like, you know, and I think it's probably hampered us in, in a certain sense that like, it's like, it was a muscle flex, like and there was no need for it. You know, look at what we can do in the transfer market. And I think that's why it was like, if we even fucking picked up the phone to Everton, they'd be telling people, you know, and the same, it gives weight, you know, they're going to look for the best possible, not best possible fee and it's going to become a transfer transfer battle, you know. They paid enough for him as well, you know. Yeah. They did, they paid for him, um, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what, he's he's proved, like at the time I was like, geez, you know, because I mean, he, I don't even remember him like, banging for Wolves or even just being first choice all the time so I yeah. thought it was a high fee but obviously looking back um, they've, they've, they've made that back in terms of his contribution um, right so we're going to fire through some more questions here um, and we've talked about filling billing there we've talked about the January window not not being that far away uh, and by the way folks if you are listening don't, don't don't be afraid to get your questions in in the chat there we'll be live for another little while yet and like um, and subscribe on YouTube and like exactly. and subscribe as, as Sean <laughs> said uh, and follow us on all the socials <laughs> Really good question here from Sean Gilly. Um, and basically it's it's tying into that number six, but what he said what he's asked us is um Bruno's favorite position is an eight. If we don't get a proper six and a proper six, is there a danger that Bruno could think I'm not staying on to be a number six for another season? Whether that's see, obviously from now until the summer or even beyond that. But see, I think in the you know, it's gonna in the perfect storm, this wouldn't be an issue because <sighs> Bruno wouldn't spend much as much time in the six with a fully fit team. You know, mm. like you're talking, you're taking Tonali out, who was in to help that they were going to kind of create a little pivot, you know, whereas one drops in, one doesn't drop in. You know, I don't see Tonali as a six at all, but as a six eight, he can become functional in that role. You know, so you have Tonali out, Jolinton out, Willock out for most of the season, Longstaff out for a large part of the season. So it's almost by default we've seen him in that six role more often. The problem is when you have your central eight, right? who is your first line of the press. So he's the first one to press. So he's pressing your left and your right side of your, your left and right side eights, right, are static. They're watching the game. The ball breaks. That's the gap that you see then. Mm -hmm. You know, 
if you think if it's either like when Willock is there, Willock comes across and presses Joe Linton goes in and presses Longstaff and go in and press and Bruno sits back a bit, it all just looks a little bit better. You know, there was a lot more fluency last season. We don't have that opportunity this season where Botman or Shar steps in. You see it happen a few times yesterday where the defence got narrow and one of them stepped in and the minute they stepped in, the left hand side you could have drove a bus down it, like you know, mm-hmm. and that's what's going to continue to happen. I'd like to see Eddie Howe address it, and I'd like to see him bring in someone that is more six dominant than eight. You know, Onana ticks all the boxes, but we could have signed Onana a year and a half ago for half that price. You know, Sh- so Sean, is, is there anything in, in Ederson at all from Atlanta? There is, there is. He likes right. him, but again, I, I don't think Howe is going to spend that money on a player that's not Premier League proven. You know, so like when you're like, there's two things, you know, and like this is a rule for like what I've got is with how is that he doesn't want to integrate more than four players at once and he doesn't want to integrate more than one player from abroad. Right. You know, okay. so like you have to factor in that into your thinking when you're bringing in players. Like, you know, and I understand to like when you talk about Gibbs White, there's probably another 10 players on the continent that would cost half the price that would probably be as good as him. But at the end of the day, you don't know what you're getting, mm-hmm. you know. Some managers trust the data and they believe that Jay can come in and they'll work through the personality and all this kind of stuff. Other managers don't. You know, so I think we have to be patient with what we have. You know, he's proven he's an exceptional manager. What he done at Bournemouth came up to the Premier League was unbelievable and what he done at Newcastle last season was. But mm. at the moment he's an excellent manager in the perfect scenario. For me, he needs to show that he's a manager that can work in a an unperfect position in the sense of with Bournemouth as well. You know, Bournemouth got injuries the year they got relegated. You know, and he didn't contract those injuries, and that was a big flaw that was seen in his game. Well, granted, his or oh, his fullbacks stayed way too far up the pitch, and there was a space as well in between the defence and the midfield at Bournemouth that wasn't addressed. He brought in Lorma to do that. Lorma didn't do that job well as a six for Pal- Bournemouth because Eddie Howe couldn't fit Lorma into his position properly because he went to a four-one-four-one. Right? Eddie Howe likes having inverted wingers high up the pitch, close to a centre forward. And when Lorma came in, he actually couldn't really bring Lorma into the tactical solution. And I think that's why he's probably against bringing in a 6 at Newcastle as well. So I think if we are going to bring in a 6, it has to be a 6-8. Ederson is excellent. You know, like he is, mm-hmm. he has the skill set to do that job. And again, you know, if you're going for 60 million for Onana, Ederson comes in and I probably think he's better. You know, like people look at Onana and they think he's six foot six or whatever, absolute beast. You know, so Sean Dice is actually critical of how good he is in the air. So if you take away that aerial ability, there's a lot of players that are better than him. Mm. You know? Okay. Mm. Yeah, and like mm. the number six talk continues and probably will continue for the rest of the season, especially if we don't get anyone like let's you know, if we've got Philip Billing in, people might kind of sit back a little bit and quicker. We've got <laughs> another body in there, it's Premier League proven. He also knows where the goal is, to be fair. Um, but it'll I think it'll still be every on everyone's kind of minds. Let's move away though from defensive midfielder for a moment um we've got a question here from punter with a lot of numbers in your username that i'm not going to read them all out uh, if it's his phone number you're welcome to it folks um the question here is um sean what's the view on forwards coming in to replace the likes of miggy and wilson who seem to be on their way out either in this window or the next uh he's and then he's written give us a done deal with a smiley face <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, um, you can't turn that down <laughs> okay so if if we were, say, if we stayed in Champions League, if we stayed in the Champions League and he didn't get injured, I'd say we would have went all in for Brian and Buemo in January from Brentford. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. I think he's one to keep an eye on. He's one that I think they would have went fairly heavy on in January. Um, they've watched him for a while. They wanted to see how he integrated into the Premier League. Everything looks good with him. 
you know, I think if that injury didn't come about and if we had Europa League or Champions League and, you know, if you're talking the injuries to Joe Linton and perfect storm kind of stuff, but I think Mbwemo would have been a very hot topic in January. For a lot of clubs, but I think definitely for us, really, really liked. He is the definition of a perfect in, inverted right winger. And he can play probably play across the front three, can play a little bit deeper, comfortable in an A position. You know, if you want to look at the perfect Eddie Howe player, he's probably that. Like, you know? Wow. That's a, it's a name that I haven't heard um, yeah. <laughs> with Newcastle. Um, obviously, yeah, he picked up an injury as well, I think. Um, but he's one of those players that, um, I mean, most people know that if you're watching this show, I'm a bit of a football manager enthusiast. And I remember seeing him, Buemo, um a couple of years ago in FM. And uh, it was the first time I'd spotted him because he's French. And uh, when I saw him in the Premier League, I was kind of surprised because he was uh, he was looking a lot better. Um, glorious beard as well. <laughs> right. Let's go on to oh, geez, We have plenty of questions to get through. Let's, we still have a bit of time. Uh, Sean, or do you know what? Let's open to the group really uh, to get thoughts. In the next transfer window, how much do we think um, will ha- we'll ha- Newcastle will have to play with? I'll actually put this on the screen. <coughs> how much does Sean and ourselves think that we will have to play with if you include the Champions League money um, with slash without any possible sales of players? And maybe throwing in like the sponsorship deals as well, right? Because that also comes into play. Well, I'll take that. Um, I think the Champions League money will have in and around 150, maybe a little bit more, I think, to spend. But if we will or won't spend that amount, it's totally different, if you know what I mean. But see, the, yeah. I think, so I always find it funny when people kind of, when people talk about how much a club is going to spend mm-hmm. in the summer. What is a budget? You know, so you have your upfront fee. So a team will have cash in the bank, Right. So a budget is what you can pay in cash for a player. If you go out and if you sign, when we sign, say, Harvey Barnes, we sign Tina Livermento, we sign Sandro Tonali, whatever, say, if it added up to 160 million, right? That 160 million is obviously facilitated over five years, right? So that's built into the FFP model. But we probably only spend 60 million, you know? Mm. So it's understanding what the what the cash balance is. You know, like, so, like what Newcastle have next year is... You have to add in, you know, it likes your Champions Leagues and all this kind of stuff. Like, I reckon comfortably they probably have about 120 million cash to actually play around with in the summer, you know, because you're talking the Champions League money comes in, the sponsorship deals come in. They have two big sponsorships. I think one of them is with a media group that's currently held up at the moment. So there's big sponsorship deals to come in. So they could have 120 million cash to spend in the summer. They just need to stretch that. 120 million cash can get you 400 million worth of players. They won't spend that, but 120 million can bring up your budget in that sense. You have to understand how you're going to facilitate that over the next five years, you know, and that's what the that's what the key is. Well, over the next three years, the AFFP is, but I reckon there will be changes to financial fair play in the next round of talks, you know. So, is it January, February, March? I think is their, their meeting. So there will be they will change the cap, you know. If they'll probably bring up to around the 200 million mark. Because what people have to realize as well is that probably one of the biggest incomes England English government have is tax on football. You know, mm. the tax on football is crazy, right? They are bringing in an independent regulator now, right? This January transfer window and the lack of movement of players and money and all this kind of stuff has huge financial implications on the tax, <laughs> you know? Think yeah. of it that way, like, you know? So the government are going to look at this. The independent regulator is going to be, you know, on a string from the government and they're going to be thinking, we need cash flow in probably our most profitable area. You know, obviously, I would say, do you have oil and all this kind of stuff? Like, Brian talking about, like, something that they don't actually do anything for. You know, they don't pay anybody in it, you know, in that sector. It's just free money for them almost. They want the Premier League to be a juggernaut. If FFP starts to slow that down, FFP will be disbanded. You know, they will change it. They will make changes. 
you know mm. so like you can remember i can remember there was a politician came out and he was like we need to freeze players wages during covid and all this kind of stuff and there was like a financial consultant on sky after saying you do realize that their wages probably keep the country afloat <laughs> you know so like freezing this doesn't make any fucking sense at all like you know mm. so like so the way this transfer window went isn't beneficial so when the independent regulator comes in this will all change you know it's a moment in time so when we talk about transfer budget in the summer i think we probably bring four players in based on the Eddie Howe model, and we we have about 120 million cash cash flow. I'd say we'd have about 120 million to spend. Like, you know, it's a lot of yeah, money and in January. On this, yeah, just, there's always um, looking at the first team signings, but we're obviously not. We're looking at other elements of the squad. You know, we signed that mm. young players at Alfie Harrison from Man City. We've yeah. also been looking at bolstering the the youth teams, and you know, I mean, it's a topic for another podcast. We'll get you on again, Sean, because our our youth teams have have basically failed for years been neglected for so long and even i saw um the guy who was playing for liverpool today mcconnell i think it is yeah it's a newcastle is, fan is a newcastle fan and born and born and bred geordie which is just mm. it's cruel but see they they have put a lot of time and effort into the academy and trying to get players up but players mm. the one like that age they won't move to newcastle you know yeah. if you look at um What's the young name there's young from southampton there he moved to chelsea like and he got home so he went back home straight away so people like to stay at home you know, mm-hmm. the thing about Newcastle is they tried to break the Irish market, but the Irish market is sewn up by Man City and Brighton at the moment. I know you have Chelsea trying to get in as well, you know, so that's a tough one to crack. And again, it's our academy is probably the lowest grade academy in the Premier League at the moment, I'd say. And you had all the work going on at the training ground and all this kind of stuff. So, again, being able to take in so many players, I think we'll see a bigger influx in the summer, probably another one or two in this year, but in the summer when the training ground is it's actually usable now and plans are in place for the new training ground i think it'll take time like you know with the academy and stuff like that we're starting from scratch you know you probably have shamrock rovers they probably have a better academy system than newcastle do at the moment <laughs> you know and that's that's not even taking the piss like, like it's absolute bare bones kind of stuff like was it mm. not last year i think we only offered i think newcastle only offered one scholarship um, a year ago that's crazy like yeah. You know, that mm-hmm. shows a drop off in talent and who's who's actually come to the club. Like, you know, players would rather go down to the stadium late. Like. It is crazy when you think, you know, the size of the Northeast and obviously we're the biggest club up there by a by a long way, right? Um mm-hmm. it's just it shouldn't happen that we see players from the area actually turning up at other clubs. It brings me back to Michael Carrick turning out for West Ham and I was like, How did he never end up at Newcastle? But anyway, again, a podcast for another day. Um <laughs> probably tying into that topic though, like you know, linking into the We'll talk about Dan Ashworth, really, because obviously a lot of it's coming through him. Um, we, have, we have a comment here from Dave saying, obviously, there's a whole new scouting team uh, instead of analysts um, through Dan Ashworth. So all the summer targets will be coming through already. But an interesting one here from DUP95. He said he saw something earlier suggesting Ashworth will gain more control over transfers to keep him away from Man United. Um, or Man Red, as we like to call them around here. If that's true, I assume that means less power for Eddie Howe. How do you think that would change our player profile slash would it piss off Eddie Howe? That's an interesting one. I mean, I think Casper has a good kind of reign of control yeah. since he's come in, but any word on increasing? Um, it, uh, I would have brought a tweet there recently um, about, the, I suppose, the recruitment strategy changing and stuff like that. Like what I don't think, and this is just my opinion, right? I don't think Eddie Howe would have such control over transfers if Ashworth was in before Howe came in. You know, mm. Howe had agreements in place, you know, and like there's certain people around the club, you know, 
that are too pally and are too favourable when it comes to deals and stuff like that. You know, and I don't need something that short likes, you know, constantly dealing with the same people, same systems, you know, same kind of group of players, you know, tied to a certain agency. So I think Ashworth probably would have had a different system set up. Granted, I do believe and I think it is correct that the manager should have the final say. But again, you need trust at every level. I got a lot of abuse for saying that at Bournemouth, Ashworth trusted uh, Winsley. He trusted, he trusted Jewel. And Jewel trusted fucking um, Potter and it went back and forth. You know, that group of four people had 100% trust in each other. I don't think that's there at Newcastle at the moment. You know, because there are players that have been extensively scouted, put the hoe in his team, and they've said no. Do you get me? Oh. You get things right, you get things wrong. Just a, just a text message from Steve Nixon uh, asking Sean to. Uh... <laughs> Because we're friends now, you know, we're friends. I have pals too, Sean. Uh, he's just saying, like, you know, thanks for popping a couple of red herrings live on the internet. He appreciates it. No problem, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, throwing them off the scene. The... Yeah. Yeah, with that, like, you know, like, you're talking, I think IDHO does need to be a bit more flexible with bringing in targets from abroad, you know, and probably trusting themselves to actually for, to integrate them into the team. Everybody that we have brought in, you know, and people will say I'm talking shit, like, but he didn't want Bruno Guimaraes or Isaac as well. He wasn't sold on those two players, like, you know. Mm. So he had other targets that he mm. wants to bring in, you know. So they were very much the ones that he wanted weren't available. So we went with him, you know. So that has to change because if you only have X amount to spend, you have to stretch that a little bit further. You know, it's grand for us to say hindsight, you know, we should have brought in this player, that player, and the other, but. I think every fan questioned the transfer window last last summer, you know, in the sense of like you're talking, you have you brought in four players, but I don't think we addressed any weaknesses in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And everybody was saying, "Why didn't we stretch it further?" You know, so it's not kind of hindsight; it's just kind of wondering why we actually didn't do that a little bit more, you know. And I think this summer they'll have to be a bit more flexible. They'll have to bring in more players from abroad to bring in that to bring up that baseline. And um. Mm-hmm. It's a good segue because I have a couple of questions here on players that we did buy but we haven't seen in action yet. So we have a question in from Sean. Um, hopefully it's not not, not Sean Bowes. He's not, he shouldn't be allowed to ask questions in here. Alan. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. We've got or Sean Casey asking himself questions. But, uh, we have a question here from Sean saying we're losing games and the opposition offloads their bench in the sixty-minute mark. We need numbers in the next two windows. Um, but specifically refers to Minta. Uh, so it's Yakuba Minta and Garan Kual should be on the bench next season. And then I have another question here from uh, Mary that says any possibility of Minta being in the squad next season. I suppose so I'll I- tie them together, Sean, and say like. You know, we, we have players there um, that aren't with us this season, but do we expect to see them next season? And, and can they be considered as new signings, really? But people screen from this rooftop, so Minte, I don't think Cool is going to make it, be an answer to um, mm. But um, mm. Minte, so there was there was a lot of interest in the championship for Minte, and this is why this is why I rule out kind of all Dutch players when they're linked from the air divisie, like the back of York and all players like that. Um, is Newcastle decided to send him to Holland because they thought the Dutch league was actually easier than the championship. Um, the thing about him, if you watch him play, honestly, I'd say he, if there wasn't a stadium in the way, he'd probably run off the pitch with the ball and he'd just keep on going. There's a bit of a forest gump about him. Yeah. He is incredible. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like, he will be sensational for Newcastle like because he has an absolutely unique skill set. Like, he actually, he runs the same speed off both feet. You know, like, so if he has a starting position on his left or right foot, he is exactly the same speed and he's probably quicker with the ball. Like, he carries the ball under his hips. Mm. He's running with it. 
you know, very few players can actually carry the ball like that. Alexander Kleb, very similar, carry the ball under his hips like that, impossible to challenge him, same with Foden and stuff like that. He has that about him, but he needs to get his head up and learn when to release the ball. And that's why he's a fire out at the moment. So I think he could either stay there for another season or go to the championship next season, but they want to put a bit more weight on him and mm. just trying to bring up his decision making before they do actually send him to the championship. But players that are breaking in, you know, it's funny because like I guy somebody recently they said that a lot of people are banging on about Lewis Hall and Twitter and stuff like that saying they should be starting, but people at the training ground believe Murphy's a better defender. You know, so how close is he? You know, yeah. so I, I think Murphy is probably the closest, I'd say, to, to breaking in or getting a nice championship loan next season, you know, because he's meant to be getting on really, really well. Um, mm. But yeah, so I think that's it from players that we haven't seen. And Lewis Hall, I just think it's the defensive side of the game that needs to change. Like, you will see that um, he actually happened a few times against Anthony and happens a few times at Bormer as well. He gets touched tight and he doesn't turn. Like, he's very quick in a straight line, but his ability to turn and sprint is a little bit, it's a little bit delayed, you know, that's where you would have seen him, is Zabin, I forget your man's name for Bournemouth, but he'd done him a few times, you know, and the same with Anthony, he gets too tight, and once he's spun, he finds it very hard to turn off, you know, same happens with Levi Cowell as well, if you watch him at Chelsea, phenomenal player, but if he gets turned, his initial sprint is very, very slow, quick mm -hmm. player, but those initial five or six yards, which makes you elite, does he have him, you know, but, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't think we have anybody that's going to impact the, the team for the rest of the season, being honest with you. I genuinely wasn't expecting Alexander Hleb's name to be brought into this show <laughs> as well, Sean. So thank you. I that. absolutely. <laughs> my brother is a massive Arsenal fan, and I've ah. seen that. I seen him play live, um, mm. and I watched a few Arsenal games and brothers stuff like that. And I just thought he was like, I don't know. I watch football, and I just watch it. I suppose it, I just. I just watch certain things and certain aspects of players and stuff like that that make them unique. And I'm like, fuck me, man, what a player. Like that move yeah. to Barcelona was mm. crazy, but like he was the most, one of the most naturally gifted people I've ever seen run with a football. Watch back on his highlights and stuff like that. Like when you talk with hips over the ball and stuff like that, if a player runs with his hips over the ball, you can't tackle him. Mm. You know, he was just mm. unbelievable. Like, and yeah. I would want to be saying too much about like an Arsenal like a slaughter. <laughs> That's don't worry, Chris Chris gets enough of it for admitting he was a, a closet man red fan back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a Blackburn fan. in the past now, Chris. I actually support the Blackburn. Um, hey, there's a scoop. Scoop. There's yeah, a scoop yeah, then yeah. Um I was a massive Blackburn fan because my Ooh. my brothers used to call so he's played tournaments when we were younger and stuff like that, like and fucking I used to be scoring goals for fun, like and he was calling me Shawnee Shero. So he was playing for Blackburn at the time, so I followed Blackburn. And then when he left Blackburn and joined Newcastle, I started to follow Newcastle. So my friends used to slag me on Twitter all the time about being a Blackburn fan. And people picked up on that, and that's where oh, this yeah. thing comes from, that he's not even a Newcastle fan and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, I was, well, I was a Blackburn right. fan up until Shero left. I'm a Shero fan, and that just kind of transcended into being a Newcastle fan. Well, I was going to say, lucky, look, lucky for you and for us and for everyone that you never actually left Newcastle, so you're still a Newcastle fan. Thank I thought God you were going to say, not. lucky for us and lucky for everybody that I became a Newcastle fan. <laughs> 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 That's a compliment than I have. <laughs> no more fear than needed. <laughs> um, and there'll be a bit of crack to come with that FA Cup fifth orange draw, assuming Blackburn do overcome Wrexham. But again, yeah. time will tell. Right, we'll do a quick fire round. We have a few more questions on the fly through and then we'll jump into, well, we'll head, we'll make our way towards the outro. So quick fire uh, questions for you, Sean. I've got one here from Punter995718033. Uh, 
Any more young Irish players being watched, which could come in? Sorry, I'll put that up on the screen. And uh, there was another question from Paul Slaughter about Reese Byrne, who's al already on our books, I believe, right? The yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah, so so they, uh, anyone doing the rounds? Nothing really. Do you know what? I don't think they've cracked the Irish market. You know, I think they're going to find it very hard to do it. I think it's sewn up at the moment. You know, so nothing at the moment, nothing that I've heard anyway. They, they were linked with, um, what's that chapter? He went to Sheffield United. Yeah, Sam Curtis. Sam Curtis. Sam Curtis. Yeah. They've looked yeah, at him, yeah. and there's another young fella as well. I'm going to I'll murder his name now. I think he's a left winger. He's only 17. He was on trial at Man City, and we've trying to get him up for a trial as well. Uh, his name evades me at the moment. I think it could be Rovers or something like that. He plays. So I think he's only 17. He's one of the youngest players to play in the Aircom League. But um, they've looked at him as well. But um, yeah, that's it really. Um, nothing really. I think there's. I think they might get one or two young players in before the window closes. All right. Interesting. And I suppose there's a question here from Dave Bullman then. If we had to sell one of our top players to help kind of build squad and for FFP reasons, um, who would you go with? Based on the circumstances and with the year left on the contract, you'd say Joe Linton. Um you're talking if it's Bruno Gomez, you can't replace him because his skill set is unique. You find me a player that can that is as press resistant as him. Mm. I don't think they're available. Rocco Reese um, at Mönchengladbach is probably the closest I've seen in European football over the last year or so to actually being that press resistant. Um, Bruno Gomez, he'll just he'll receive the ball off the centre backs every time. He'll take the ball under pressure. Having somebody that will take the ball under pressure consistently and that would prefer to lose the ball themselves instead of giving a hospital pass and put somebody else under pressure is a unique skill set. So replacing him is going to be tough. I think we'll actually probably have to change the system when Guimaraes goes. Isaac, again, you're talking what 67 million we paid from. There's what two years only taken off the books from. So for financial fair player, if you're selling him and replacing him, you're still paying for him and trying to replace him at the same time. So it's counterproductive. You know, it just doesn't happen. But again, the man's name is a unicorn for a reason. We just need to get the supply line to him a little bit better. Um, but yeah, that's why I don't think we we'll sign Sesco in the summer. You know, I would have said it way back. You know, I have. I would have been the first one to link Sesco to Newcastle and it was a case of it's either Sesco or Isaac because they have a similar profile and I think you will see a lot of leaks to Newcastle to Sesco because they're probably trying to cover over watching Aspenda who also plays for uh, Leipzig who they're very very keen on and yeah, yeah. that'll be some sign and he's unreal he is <laughs> and the other one like, was a question from me Sean because I get to seeing as I'm the host we we spent a lot of time talking about Garassi on this show over the last few weeks, mm. and he's apparently you know quite a reasonable release clause. But again, that seems to have died down. Is that something to again you're like behind us? There's nothing about this club that tells me that they're going to react to a one season wonder. You know, yeah. I mean that's what that's what it is very much. Like you're talking 15 million is fair enough, but then you're talking the wages as well. And there was a lot of interest from Saudi in him, so he'll get a big Saudi move in the summer where he's going to probably be on about 500 grand a week. <laughs> you know, so like for us to win from, I think I think they wanted nearly. 200 grand or something like that on top of the 15 million wage and he didn't want to sign a long-term contract either so yeah you know i do, i think it was there's two things there's the players you chase and there's the there's the players that the club chase and there's the players that chase the club and he's one of these players that is intermediate areas they chase the club fair um right we're nearly at the end sean you can almost exhale um i actually well actually don't i'm going to put you under pressure david walsh has asked us can he can we ask you uh what level you played at yourself uh must have been a decent level because the way you see the game uh and obviously getting coached very well so um lightness. i would i played for rock mountain cork city um if you ever heard of him um so i would have played for them underage 
I was average, but I played for probably one of the best teams to ever play in Cork City. Absolutely incredible players. You know, Paul Slaughter will know one of them there, a fella Greg Toomey. Um, we played Leicester out in, um, out in the Merdike, I think it was, and Darren O'Day was on trial at the time with Leicester. And Greg fucking skinned him, absolutely ran him ragged. I think Aidan McGeady was on trial as well at the time. So I played for one of the best teams that would ever come over to Cork, I'd say, but I was average myself. You know, I just loved the game, loved tactics, loved watching. I just seen games in a different light. When I was younger, I would have played a lot of football manager. After my leaving sort of results, I stopped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think it was for the for the good of everybody. I, I stopped playing football manager at about 17, 18, but um, obsessed with football, you know, just watching football. I'd, you know, pre-having kids, um, would watch it non-stop, you know, and then pre-getting married as well and stuff like that. Like, you know, like I would have just, I've always analysed football, so like, and, uh, I suppose my qualifications as in professionally, um, I've, I would have been um, like a statistical management and stuff like that. So we're talking green belt, black belt and stuff like that. So understanding mm. stats and how to analyze things comes from my work, I suppose, and what I would have done educationally. And now I can add that to my understanding of football as well. So that's why I probably see things the way I see things, you know? So you have people that never played football, but they can read out stats. Well, they can correlate both. Whereas I've played football. I'm obsessed with sports. I've, train seven nights a week so it's not just playing football it's understanding the athletic side of things as well you know because i train every single day non-stop so i understand probably kind of the three key aspects of football as in this playing football the athleticism and understanding the statistical side of it as well as in formations and how would all the analytics come into play like yeah look it's um it's definitely coming through obviously sitting here talking to you sean like you know most most of us will know you from the irish mags community through the whatsapp group and obviously all the um the information you put on twitter but it is nice to hear you speak about football and transfers um we've easy slim echoing that in the comments here as well first time hearing sean casey talk i've followed him on twitter for a while but top stuff knowledge analysis needs more shows or airtime there you go um sean now you've no <laughs> excuse to get back on this show again uh, in a few weeks time um Lovely, lads. Um, I've, I've got one last question because it's just caught my eye. It's the last question before we wrap up. And it says from DUP95, yes or no, do we break our transfer record in the summer? And I'll go around to the three of you, lads. Yes or no. So the, the current record, did we say it's um, 67? 67? 67. Zach, right. So, Alan, I'll come to you first. Do you think we'll break that in the summer? Yes or no? Yes, but on the grounds that we get 50 or 60 million in for players. Interesting, Crucial. Yeah, I'm just. Oh, sorry, I just got <laughs> off the phone with uh, Steve Nixon. Uh, no, no, because we're going to use all the money to replace Eddie Um So yeah, there you go. No. Okay, Sean. Um, I hope not, um, because mm-hmm. I want them to stretch the budget, and I want them to be a bit more efficient in the market and kind of not overspend for pleasing fans and kind of look at building out the squad a little bit more. You know, so I hope that we don't. I don't think there's a need to do it. There's so much available on the market and they have so much available to them that they can pull in these players, you know. So I hope that we build out the squad a little bit more so that we can create a little bit more tactical flexibility. Um, So no, I'm saying definitely not. Um, I would think it would be... There's no point in having an elite recruitment system and talking about all these players being... or all these people being fantastic at what they do and building it up so much. And not using it you know mm. like i would like to see us i prefer for us to actually box clever in the transfer market 
you know, rather than spending these huge money on players, you know, because there's just no need for it. You know, there's so much talent out there at the moment, you know, so I'd, I'd like to see him stretch the budget. I think probably what we will see, dovetailing off a little bit from it, I suppose, is um, we'll probably see a lot of noise come out about the stadium um, over the next couple of weeks. You know, so I think it'll be very much, and you see it kind of go to fans groups, and you probably see a lot of um, like influencers and stuff like that talk about it. They'll look at the stadium revamp as it is because they probably won't get enough. They won't be able to. They won't be able to extend the stadium enough to actually make it. They say seventy thousand stadium. So they'll talk about either reforming the stadium or moving stadium and to- moving totally. You know, the meetings during the week there that I invited the lads to there up in Alnwick. Um, <laughs> we have a question in that we ne- we nearly missed it but we never would have let you go um, I'm, I'm actually kind himself of, has turned up in chat here for you as well by the way there's Joel I'm actually kind there. of insulted that people thought that um, people thought that I was invited that it wasn't me that invited him but anyway um, so I think it's centred really around I think we're going to hear a lot of news re- um, on the training ground um, so they have three sites around Newcastle. It's hard to kind of, it's hard to actually nail down that information because of Rubens on a lot of land up around Newcastle and stuff as well. But they had three sites kind of up about two, three weeks. When they they've settled on one, and they will kind of start announcing that soon, um, probably over the next couple of weeks. And it's probably they went through basically the pros and cons because they've been gathering this information for the past few months of moving stadium, right versus actually staying at the stadium, reforming it and stuff like that. The problem is, and what you have to think of it is, if I say, lads, come to St. James's Park, ticket is, what, 45, 50 euros, say, for example, just use a ballpoint figure, next season you're paying 100. Fans say, what the fuck, we're being ripped off. Mm. And now yeah. I say to you, lads, you're coming to the Adidas Bowl, you know, or whatever you <laughs> want to call it, gives 120 euros, they're going to say, wow, you can electronics scanning and the points pour themselves and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. you don't even factor in the money you know so there's a bit of that at play as well so like to increase revenue you have to build a new stadium you know and i hate this fucking line that's coming out you know you can love the owners and love what they do to the club but you can also have not criticize but you can also query things as well as the thing of and the message that's probably going to be put out over the next few weeks is that if we move to a new stadium it's going to be free PIF are going to build it. It's not going to cost you anything. Fair enough. It's not going to cost the club anything. Mm. Fair enough. But the likes of us, we're going to be charged 60% extra on every ticket. So we do. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind for that, you know? So my honest opinion is I think they'll move stadium. You know, because it makes sense from a revenue stream. You can't increase the tickets at St. James's Park because there'll be anarchy. Um, and it's probably one of your best ways of revenue cheap win like you know so i think they will move stadium i'd be absolutely gutted i'm already falling out of love of football as it is money wise as when i talk about top level football as in premier league football i fall out of love of football but if they move stadium um i'd be gutted being honest with you you know i love mm-hmm. you know i love walking up the back steps and like it's just kind of a bit run down and dirty and grubby and stuff like that like i hate these new modern stadiums i just think there's a love for football at newcastle that is just different in order. I never forget, I was at Fulham. Last story. I love to talk, don't you? It's an Irish podcast. I remember I was, uh, I was at Fulham and um, I think it was, um, what's the young for Cessna got a hat-trick, I think it was at the time. And I was there and I was sitting next to an old fella and I was like, we were two one down, I was getting up, I was like, I can't stick this shit anymore, you know, I'm not coming over anymore, whatever that, because I told him my story previously and he was like, 
everything will leave you in life except for your football club. He was like, I'm 83 years of age. He said, I've loved and I've lost. I've had two wives, you know, kids that don't talk to me anymore. But I always have this heat in the stand that will be there for me for the rest of my life. I was like, fuck me, man. That's actually what a football club means to someone. Yeah. You know? Mm, yeah, yeah. When you take St. James's Park away from us, you know, it's just, I don't know, I, I kind of, I'd be emotional about it, being honest with you, because mm. like, I love that ground. I hate going to the likes of Spurs and City and Arsenal, this kind of stuff. It's just dead. There's no history there. You know, when you yeah, go to Newcastle, so when you go to the Cop and places like that, like, you know, it's just different. Like, you know, I lived in Germany for a while as well. Like, you know, and like you go to Cologne, I lived in Cologne for a while and you go to the stadium there and stuff like that, man. It's just so rich in culture. You go to a new stadium, you lose the culture, you know, and you, you get a different type of fan base then as well. Like, you know, and yeah, yeah. it almost, it almost right. connects like past and present, right? The stadium history yeah. and just, you know, it's the people that carry it through. So I think, Absolutely. yeah, a lot of people would definitely be devastated if, if it did move, but it's a re it's a realistic prospect, I suppose, is the way we're gonna have to, yeah, I think to handle it. Yeah. Um but uh we're glad to hear you had a good time at Alnwick Castle anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> great and, time. Uh, the next time you're there we'll get you on again to give us the lowdown. Um but look what I'm gonna do the next Alnwick. time is I'll actually do the podcast from there. That's <laughs> oh, okay. that, <laughs> that would be really Defense, appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure I'm sure that I'm sure I'm sure there's ways to get a fake background behind you, but no, we never talk. <laughs> <laughs> I've never faked anything in my life. <laughs> oh, I got it in there, he got it right in there. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. <laughs> it's okay, lads. We're after hours now, we're past the watershed. Right, but look at I think lads, we've got a hell of we've got through a hell of a lot of content questions. Sean, yeah. thanks again for giving there. us your time um there's a lot going on there um and i suppose all we can do is really speculate um the short-term impatient part of us all knows there's three days left in the window let's see what happens um but obviously there's a lot more and a lot more longer term thinking uh, to go to go by we won't have a we won't have a bad take of the week this week because we've had a lot of takes mm -hmm. there and chris that means you're gonna have to make it extra special for next it will week be. Um, and I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that it will. But Alan, I want to come to you very quickly because uh, you are you are our Irish Mags chief correspondent. There is another meetup to be had. Am I right? There is indeed. Naturally, we're playing Villa on Tuesday night, so we kick off seven o'clock. I think seven or eight o'clock. I'm useless. Don't worry about that. I'll you be know. there from six o'clock, so don't worry about that with all the flags up. So. Anyone who's in and around Dublin anytime, pop in to Bleecker Street Bar and you will be welcomed with a pint. Super stuff. Thank you for and that, that Alan. And yeah. I'm going to run. I appreciate That's... it. Thanks, Paul, Thanks for holding the fort. And uh, again, look, I'll be on again loads. Look, fuck it, look, it's, um, when I can make the time, we'll let you know and stuff like that. And pre-wires to the transfer window and we'll talk tactics and all this kind of stuff. But look, I appreciate having you on. Great stuff yeah. and um, best of luck in the future. All the links to our own socials are below wherever you're looking at uh, on Twitch or on YouTube. So please uh, make sure to drop us a like, a follow, a subscribe. And a reminder, this podcast, which will be released in audio form during the week on Wednesday, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. One more time, guys. I uh, want to thank everyone who's listening to the live show today. This is our first live show, lads, and we've got through it. So yeah. I think we should all be very proud of ourselves, Alan and Chris. Show. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you to everyone who's asked all the great questions. I think we got some really nice insights from Sean. Obviously, he gets yeah. a lot of grief and abuse for all mm -hmm. of the ITK stuff and all the transfers. But when you actually start to peel back some of that, yeah. and talk about the club, talk about the football, talk about what we need, uh, hugely insightful. So we look forward to having, having him on again soon. Yeah. Um, and one last piece of news, which is a bit of a work in progress. Uh, we mentioned that the January transfer window is closed in three days. 
we're hoping to actually have a little bit of a live show on the evening of the 31st, i.e. the the evening the window closes. I believe it's 11 p.m. on Wednesday yeah. that it closes. Um, so we hope to be live. And I think it, it it may rely a little bit on, are we actually going to do any deals on yeah. that day? Um, so if we have a sniff of anything, and we'll be, we'll be keeping close to Sean on this one, lads, uh, you might just see us live on that Wednesday. So until then, I think all that's left for me to do is say thank you, Alan, for coming on again this week. Thanks for having me as usual. <laughs> and Krisho, thank you very much for joining. We know you're busy. But yeah, it's my pleasure, guys. Honestly, it's my pleasure. I've just got to get on to Steve Nixon after this because I believe Julian's going to sign for Juventus uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, oh, dear. For uh, £37 million. Pounds. And I got that in there. I let Sean talk there, see that? But then I didn't say. So there Very you sure. go. There's a scoop for Wednesday night. We won't bring up the scoops you've had before. I mean, yeah. we still need to talk about Joe, Joe Commanderson. He still hasn't joined. And you told us to be in the hey, 3rd of January. But he's that's coming. for another day. Right. <laughs> Stay tuned on the socials for more details on all of that. In the meantime, though, all I'll say is thank you very much for dialing in, listening in. How are the lads? Slán, Guffal, and of course, see you all very soon. Take care and goodbye.